And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck him up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not going to sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh. With me, as always, is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film past or present absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. Hey, buddy. Old pal. Old friend. Confetti fan. (laughs) How are you, Mr. Confetti fan? I'm good. No complaints. Uh, yeah, you had a birthday. I'm very happy for you. How, how, how does 40 feel? Isn't that over the hill? That's what they say. I don't uh, partake in any over the hill jokes. Mm. Never liked You're... it. I thought it was stupid. And I think the new over the hill is probably like 60. Yeah, I never really understood that when I was a kid. All I know is when my dad turned 40, he, they had a whole bunch of old man stuff for him. Yeah, I'll I was like, <laughs> I was like, 40? I'm like, he's not that old. But yeah, anyhow... <laughs> How are things? How's how's everything going down there? Good, good. It's warm. No complaints, though. No, uh, it's the opposite of warm here. It's rainy and sad. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> I know. It's uh, now it's now July the first, and it's uh, it's raining outside. So this is fun. It's supposed to be nicer this weekend, though. I'm going camping. I'm going to the lake. Getting out of getting out of Dodge, as the as the old saying goes, Sounds and uh, should be great. Yeah, no, no fireworks for me though. I'm like a dog. I don't like fireworks. Yeah, camping is loud. Whoa, I love camping, but no, yeah, get out of here. No toilets. You gotta make your own toilet. See, yeah, just <laughs> use the same use the same pot that you use to make your breakfast and lunch and dinner. No way, man. I need the running water. I need the shower there. I need a bed. I need a pillow. I'll shower you in confetti. Mm-mm. No confetti. <laughs> it's sterile though, and it and it makes you smell good too. I always smell nice. I, I don't sweat. I have this. It's my superpower. I just really? always smell nice. Yeah, it's so oh, weird, dude. I sweat so much. Like, uh, it's like one of my pet peeves. As soon as I put on a button-up shirt, like I'll be ready for work. It'll be you know six o'clock in the morning, and I'll be taking the bus, and all of a sudden I'm just like pitting out. It it's horrible. <laughs> oh I, man, I'm, I'm I'm glad I didn't have to wear like a uniform in class and I had to raise my hand a bunch because oh boy. I, I for some reason always put out. Yikes! I yeah, yeah, I don't sweat. It's weird. I have good genes, I guess, <laughs> or clogged pores, one of the two. But I don't sweat. What are you? Uh, what are you watching these days? Oh man, I watch so much stuff. I got on a little. Uh, I got on a little rabbit hole the other day. So I'm a huge Batman fan, and looks uh, like you're a huge Christian Bale fan. Oh, so here, so here's how it started. <laughs> so. <laughs> let me let me regale you in this in this tale. Um, I was I'm using uh, HBO Max and Ford v Ferrari was on and I'm like, sweet, I've been wanting to see that for a while. And I was I said I was going to wait until it came on streaming uh, just because it, that's how that movie felt to me. And holy crap, I really liked that movie a lot. I thought it was very, very good. And I thought Christian Bale was fantastic in it. And I thought Matt Damon was fantastic in it. But it really I was really invested into the story. So the more I kept watching Christian Bale, I realized, hey, maybe I should watch some other stuff of his. And then I put on Batman Begins and I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot how much I freaking love Batman Begins. And then I was like, well, of course, I can't end there. So then I watched The Dark Knight. 
And this, this wasn't in one day, mind you. This was like over the course of a week. And I watched The Dark Knight. And The Dark Knight, to me, is probably one of the most perfect films of all time, besides Lord of the Rings, all of them. And then uh, after that, I watched The Dark Knight Rises, which I looks like I didn't put down there. But I watched all three of those Nolan Batman films. And I was very excited. And it didn't stop there, Justin. I then... Since I'm a diehard Batman fan, I own Batman, the animated series the complete uh, four season uh, digital edition. So I started watching some who's who's of the Rogue gallery episodes. It was a Batman filled week. I was very happy. So I watched a lot. Uh, I also watched A League of Their Own, which is another fantastic movie. One of the best baseball films of all time. And I watched Steve Jobs, the Danny Boyle version, not Jobs, the Ashton Kutcher version. Watch the Fassbender there. Yeah, I love that movie. It was really good. It was uh, it reminded me a lot like a play. And I think we talked about that on Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, or maybe I'm just maybe I'm dreaming. But it was, you know, this these small set pieces and it was a talky piece because Sorkin did the uh, did the writing for that. Correct. Yeah. So I, I really, really liked everybody's performance in that movie. And um, surprisingly, that was the first time I've ever seen it, actually. So it was. uh. I was happy, but but yeah, man, I watched a lot. Have you watched anything? I watched Teen Wolf and uh, Dirty Dancing. Teen Wolf <laughs> when he's riding on top of the van. Yeah, <laughs> well, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. He sweats a lot in that when he's playing basketball. He's sweating. Oh, I hate it. Oh, my God. (laughs) I have never seen. It's so gross. It's like there's kind of the pool. It's so ridiculous. Those kids need to go see a doctor or drink some water, get hydrated. It's fucking disgusting. And it's just dripping off their face. It's so disgusting. I hate it. I like the movie. I hate the sweat. Maybe they just need some Cavender blood. Maybe. (laughs) It bothers me, though. I'm like, what asshole sweats that much? Well, of course I know that asshole. That asshole is me. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like it and I don't need it. But I'm glad you liked Ford vs. Ferrari. I, uh, I saw that with Dave in New York City. Ooh. Uh, during, I don't know, New York Comic Con, maybe? And um, he's good. I really, really liked how they took the intricacies of driving and, like, especially when Christian Bale is explaining it to his son when he says, He's like, oh, there's a crack up here on turn number eight. He's like, how do you see that when you're going 200 miles per hour? He's like, you just know. And you're not trying to um, look at it narrow narrowly. You're looking at the whole picture when you're driving. And I thought that that was so cool. And how he's explaining to his son when he did the Le Mans track and he he's like, all right, turn seven or whatever. You know, you hug this corner and then you'll ease off and come down the straight here. And like when they showed it, I thought it was so fun. And I'm just like on the edge of my seat. It made me actually want to watch Days of Thunder again, but I couldn't find a Bible <laughs> copy. So <laughs> I know they're two, two different movies, but I was like, I, I like racing. I want to go fast. So. Yeah, me too. I like racing, too. I like it when he's just tr- like trash talking. Uh, at the beginning, he's driving past the dude. And he's like, gonna help break him up. Yeah. <laughs> he just uh, <laughs> takes him in the turn. That's some funny <laughs> shit. I couldn't stop laughing. That was my favorite part ever. And now anytime like I'm driving, I'm always just like, I'm gonna help break him up. I have no idea who it is that that's next to me, but it's just fun to shout out. I, you know, I don't know if I've really ever seen a bad Christian Bale film. He's such a dynamic actor and I, I'm just enthralled when I watch him on screen. I mean, he's, he's kind of a, a crazy guy, like his, his outburst on Terminator Salvation, but he's a fantastic yeah. actor. He has a total meltdown in that movie. 
I, yeah, uh, I just I, I I just don't know if I've seen a bad performance from him. He's just a chameleon. Mm-hmm. I didn't really like the movie Rescue Dawn. I don't know yeah. if it, and it wasn't anything to do with him per se, but I just didn't really like the movie. And then um, I didn't like uh, that gang movie that he's in. Harsh Times. Harsh Times. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't really into that either. And he did then a good performance, just, but yeah, he's gross to look at in The Machinist. I can't even stand looking at him. It just freaks me out. Dude, he's and got he's the a, Insta- Instagram bod. That's the kind of bod you want, according to the, to the Instagram influencers. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that is accurate. <laughs> uh, he, yeah. is, uh, he is gross. Yeah. Not a fan. But I like the movie. Yeah, agreed. Mm-mm-mm. So. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a master of the the weight and the and the weight gain and the weight loss there. Yeah, that's hard to do. I know, uh, like Sylvester Stallone, packed on thirty pounds for a Copland, and uh, he's amazing in that movie too. And um, I really dig that movie. But it is crazy when someone that you're you're so used to seeing them look a certain way all of a sudden goes through this this change. Russell Crowe did that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the aughts, he was uh, making a lot of movies where he shifted in weight and uh it's just crazy i agree are you ready to talk about jaws oh shit is that what movie i thought we were doing jaws 4 the revenge (laughs) i can i can talk about that movie (laughs) i love that movie michael kane's best performance since ever (laughs) yeah pretty much hands down no yeah i'm ready to talk about jaws he was able to land the role in inception because of how amazing he was in Jaws Revenge. Nolan put that on and he was just like, yep, this is my guy. I don't need to see anything else. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> I'll take it. But yes, we are doing Jaws from 1975, directed by Steven Spielberg, uh, who's made such amazing movies as Jurassic Park, got your Indiana Jones franchise, you got the E.T., Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan, Close Encounters. Um, Warhorse, maybe? Did he do that movie? <laughs> so we're Seabiscuit and Liston. Out of his, out of his, extensive, re- his extensive resume, you pick Warhorse. Yeah. Bridge of Spies. I mean, sure. it's probably one of his most recent ones, but yeah. Sure. I mean, he's definitely changed as a filmmaker. We've talked totally. about it a lot on Geek Legacy. His, his career has evolved, and he's always made the movies he wants to make, for better or worse. But um, he knows how to make a movie. Well, when you have that kind of clout, you can pretty much do whatever you want. Sure. Sure. I got clout. I'm the Colossus of clout. <laughs> the Colossus of clout. <laughs> the Sultan of swing. <laughs> the great Bambino. <laughs> oh, exactly. I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> Baseball stuff. <laughs> Baseball stuff, yeah. Uh, the motion picture show was adapted to the screen from the the book by Peter Benchley, and uh, the screenplay was written by both Peter Benchley and Carl uh, Gottlieb, I think say his name. Gottlieb, I think. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty crazy. Film stars Roy Schneider, is it Schneider? There's no Oops, N, sorry. is it? It's, Schre- it's Schreider, it autocorrected. Yeah. Roy Schreider. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, that's not how you say it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Richard Dreyfus, Robert Shaw, and Lorraine Gray. Who plays Ellen? We were talking earlier about what is her name, but it is Ellen Brody in the motion picture show. Roy, Roy Scheider. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, I don't know why I autocorrected. Sorry. 
That's okay. I'm not worried. I just struck out for a second. Interestingly enough, um, Mr. Robert Shaw passed away shortly after this movie came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, he died in 1978, just three years later. He was only 51, which is interesting because he was 48 in Jaws, and he looks like he's 200 and been out to sea for 199 of those years. Justin, that's what you're going to look like in eight years. Do you know? Yeah, that? salty. <laughs> very, very salty. <laughs> you're going to have the mutton chops like he had, and it's going to be I couldn't crazy. on my best day. I just can't grow... Uh, Facial hair there. You know, like, I don't do the chops. It doesn't work. I, I tried. Believe me. As someone who doesn't even like Elvis but loves Elvis glasses, I have tried so hard to get the chops, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> True story. And I get yelled at by my significant other every time I wear my Elvis glasses, <laughs> which is nearly every day. <laughs> when you wake up. There. Yeah, I just put them on in bed. I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. Damn, it feels good to be a gangster. And, um, yeah. So there's that. Um, Richard Dreyfus went on to do some pretty amazing films. You got The Stand By Me thing. You got the, uh, Poseidon. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I like that movie. You know, Lost in Yonkers. Mr. Holland's Wait, Opus. Mr. Holland's Opus. Stakeout. Another stakeout. <laughs> <laughs> What about Bob? Probably my favorite, Dr. Leo Marvin. I uh, I think that is my favorite role ever that he has done. But um, yeah. And then uh, then our buddy, Mr. Roy, Chief Brody, he uh, he only ever did um, Jaws 2 and Sequest. <laughs> oh yeah, it's I forgot much, about Sequest. It's pretty much it. He loves the sea there. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That guy can't get away from the ocean as much as he hates it. It's only an island if you're looking at he was it in the, the water. He, he was in the French Connection and all that sure. jazz. Sure. Well, that was a long time ago. Yeah. I mean, he was in Punisher, too. He gets killed. Spoiler alert. Which Punisher? The one with the crazy Oh, guy. yeah. yeah. He was the dad, Frank Castle C. Yeah. Yeah. He was on a beach uh, on that one, too. What the hell? He likes the never, water. <laughs> This guy's like a mermaid or a siren or yeah. something like that. Oh, my God. He's Thomas Jane's <laughs> pappy. Uh, critical reception. Are you ready for this? I hope so. All right. This movie, Jaws, 1975, is certified fresh at a whopping 98% from the critics and then 90% from the audience. Not too shabby. It's pretty damn good. It's worth noting this is probably my favorite movie ever. Just throwing that out there in case you didn't know. Although, if you were to say Rudy or Starship Troopers, you probably wouldn't be wrong either. But <laughs> but for the sake of this podcast, we'll go ahead and say Jaws is number one. All three of those are very, very similar movies, too. Real underdog story, all those. You got a cop that's so bad and sucks so bad at his job, he's got to leave New York and go to an island where there's no crime. <laughs> Start the car. <laughs> Get yeah, up to the bar. Start the car. <laughs> start the oh, car. Geez. <laughs> so bad. Anyway, Arthur Cooper from Newsweek. Huh. Jaws is a grisly film, often ugly as sin, which achieves precisely what it set out to accomplish. Scare the hell out of you. I was definitely scared the first time I saw it. Uh, here's another Arthur. Arthur Knight from The Hollywood Reporter. Perhaps the most perfectly constructed horror story in our time. Interestingly enough, he wrote that in 2015. 
which is several years after it came out. So I don't know how long a time is. <laughs> like, I, I would argue that 70s era filmmaking is different than 2015 filmmaking. But what do I know? Has the guy even seen a movie before? I know. Does he even have a podcast? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Let's see. Ruth Bachelor from the Los Angeles Free Press. It is not only the most realistically terrifying film I've ever gasped through, it is extraordinarily well made. Yeah. Well made. That is that is a good way to put it. I know we hear words like masterpiece or perfect film or near perfect film, but I think well made is is right on point. It's like a well made leather jacket. Yeah. I had a well-made club sandwich once. And I enjoyed the shit out of it because sometimes um, the toast is like too hard and it hurts the roof of my mouth and I hate always, it. Always, always. I don't, I don't even enjoy the sandwich anymore. <laughs> I dread every bite. But when it's well-made, I fucking savor that shit. It's like how pizza is. I could, I mean, whenever I get pizza, I'm like, God, I want it so bad. And then I take a bite. It's like lava in my mouth and it yeah. burns and it <laughs> scalds that. your skin, but you have to do it. You know? I know. Now, every time I make a pizza in a little oven, I, I, I cut it off because I, I have like this little stone slab thing that it cooks on. And if mm-hmm. you leave it on that, it's just going to stay hot. So yeah. I cut it up and then I put my slices on a plate and then I put that plate in the freezer <laughs> for like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then now I can eat it. I'm not some asshole with a burnt roof of my mouth. Now, this movie had a budget of $7 million. They had the water imported. Uh, cost a lot. It was all Evian. <laughs> Just dumping plastic bottles all up in this. It was in a parking lot at a big lots. And then they... It was great. But uh, opening weekend, it made $7 million. And in 1975 dollars, that's, that's a lot. That's like $50 billion. Um, and then... Um, Worldwide gross, you're looking at $471 million. Not too shabby. Yeah. It's a little shabby, but not too shabby. Slightly shabby. Yeah. Well, um, so the three mechanical Bruces that were made, uh, the, oh, I should Bruce. probably backtrack. <laughs> I should probably backtrack a little bit. So the, the mechanical sharks that they used in this film, uh, no real sharks were harmed during the filmmaking process, but uh, the real uh, mechanical sharks that they used were nicknamed Bruce after Steven Spielberg's lawyer. But uh, the three mechanical Bruces that they they made for this film each had a specialized function. One shark was open on the right side. Uh, one was open on the left side and the third was fully skinned. Each shark cost approximately two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. In wow. fact, I know it's a lot of money. That's where part of the budget went right there. So, in fact, when the shark was built, it was never tested in the water. And so when it was put in the water at Martha's Vineyard, it sank right to the ocean floor and it took a team of divers to retrieve it. <laughs> that's uh, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. Sharks are supposed to float. <laughs> you see? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Jaws opened on June 20th, 1975. Uh, Justin actually knew that uh, when we were texting and because he's a s- savant. It was supposed to be released in theaters for Christmas 1974, but because filming ran way over the shooting schedule, its release was pushed back to the summer of the following year. Back in 1975, summer was traditionally when the worst movies were dumped into theaters as Americans typically enjoyed the outdoors instead. But the film was so good, 
beachgoers actually flocked to see it, and the movie became the highest grossing film of all time up to that point. It became the first film to gross over $100 million at the box office, and the summer blockbuster was born. Uh, and then finally, Robert Shaw was blackout drunk while filming the USS Indianapolis monologue sing- scene. He did a second take sober, but parts from both takes were included in the final outcome. Well, let me uh, do a quick synopsis. This was a pretty easy one to write, so I hope it flows well. But here we go. After a swimmer is brutally attacked by a shark on the eve of July 4th, Amity Island politicians must decide what to do in order to keep their beaches open. Tourists, of course, equal money for this island town economy. Chief Martin Brody wants to shut down the beaches, but Mayor Vaughn constantly finds ways to dismiss the attacks deeming them unfortunate accidents. After several more citizens die from equally gruesome shark attacks, Mayor Vaughn is forced to listen to Brody and close the beaches. Brody hires marine biologist Matt Hooper to assist him in determining what type of shark they are dealing with. After a close call, Hooper and Brody discover they are dealing with the king of sharks, a great white. Brody hires Quint, a salty fisherman. I was going to put a salty seaman, but I put a salty fisherman known to wrangle big fish. The three men venture out to sea to hunt the shark, not fully comprehending its danger. After a cat and mouse game over the course of a couple days, the men are able to track the shark down. The shark begins to attack the boat and is able to eat Quint. While Hooper gets trapped underwater in a failed boomstick plan, Brody is left on the boat as it is slowly capsizing. Armed with only a rifle and his adrenaline, Brody makes a last-ditch effort to shoot the shark as he hones in on the final kill. After several misses, Brody miraculously is able to hit an oxygen tank in the shark's mouth, causing him to explode. Hooper submerges from the water, and the two men make their way back to shore. In the battle of man versus nature, humans were able to prevail this time around. Good thing sharks don't believe in revenge. Yeah, they do. (laughs) I added that last part for you. (laughs) I've seen the movie. They made a movie out of it. (laughs) They got a a second. They got a third. They got a fourth. Hell, you can even have fifth place. (laughs) If you're not first, you're last. What kind of thing is that? I was on peyote. (laughs) Exactly. I don't think she died on the eve of of 4th of July. I think it was the weeks leading up to. The whole point was to, to find a solution just before they got there. They being the tourists. I felt like the eve of 4th of July is sexier, but you're right. You're, you're probably right, because I think it was a couple days before. So Yeah, because even when the Kittner boy mm-hmm. is killed, she says, a girl was murdered last week. <laughs> when was the first time you saw this movie, and what did you think? Gosh, first time I saw this movie was probably 1985. Um, I would have been five years old. And I remember that night I uh, I was taking a bath and my mom was like, come on, hurry. We're going to go watch Jaws. And I was like, oh, right. Jaws. That sounds great. And then I get to see the little Kittner boy get eaten. <laughs> I, was <terrified. laughs> I was like, no way. And I was living in San Diego at the time. We went to the beach every weekend. And so I was traumatized, literally traumatized. And I never wanted to go back in the water ever, ever, ever again. And um, it wasn't until I was in college that I ever went back into the ocean. Um, Some 16 years later, I was uh, my senior year in college and I was at a bonfire and it it was uh, fun. It was sort of like a little mixer 
and a nice lady invited me to go swimming and i'm like where have i seen this before <laughs> so <laughs> like, exactly i know and i'm like i'm like this is so weird and then so i go out into the water and i'm like almost waist deep and then i feel something hit my leg and I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then I take off running back to the shore and it won't leave me alone. I'm being attacked. And then I finally get out of the water and it was just this huge seaweed that had wrapped around my leg. And I thought I was going to have a heart attack and die. And I couldn't believe it. And then in, in that moment, I thought of how silly I have been. And um, and I should go in the water and it's crazy to be afraid of it. And um, that was like sort of a reality check you know, not to be afraid. Of course, I still am afraid, but I'll go in the water, you know, I'll jump in the waves and have a good time. But in the back of my mind, I'm always like, fucking, if I get eaten, my epitaph is going to read, I fucking told you so, (laughs) but whatever. (laughs) It is what it is. That's uh, that's pretty interesting because I didn't, I didn't grow up around the ocean. So for me watching this, it was pretty terrifying. Um, I actually, believe it or not, I saw this on the Disney channel. When this was on at probably like nine o'clock at night on the Disney Channel back in the day, I remember it was Channel 30 uh, from my hometown and I was like, holy shit, Jaws is on. And that maybe not have been may not have been the first time I saw this film, but that was the most vivid time I remember. And uh, when they show like the body parts floating and when the guy in the little dinghy gets eaten, I I didn't like any of that stuff. Uh, This movie terrified me when I was a kid, just in the sense of all the blood and all that. But I, I didn't have an issue going into the water or anything. Like, I'd still go swimming in lakes and whatnot. You know, and as kids, we'd, we'd do the whole dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, like that stuff. But, it's yeah, I, piano. Really? I'm sure it's yeah. not very hard. I can play Mary Had a Little Lamb using only black keys and Jaws. That is it. Well, geez. I'll, I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah, I'll take two. <laughs> I don't want to. Uh, I'll just, two dollars. I'll just buy one. Two songs, one two dollars. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, cheap. Yeah. Um. So along those lines, too, for you not going in the water and such, they kind of villainize uh, Brucey, the, the shark in this. What do you think this movie's done for the reputation of sharks? Oh, I mean, I think it's done nothing but hurt sharks to the point where people like me were afraid of them for the longest time and, um, you know, have no... I, th- I think that ignorant people would have no qualms about murdering sharks. Their population has been thinned so drastically that it is literally ruining our ocean. Um, you know, it is a pretty negative stigma. I mean, if I, if I were in a, this is coming from someone that would never in a million years go um, in a cage <laughs> to go watch sharks. Right. <laughs> you know, my significant other has gone like shark diving and been in a cage and, and it was an, a remarkable experience for her, but I would never in a million years go do that. Um, I respect sharks. I love sharks. Um, but this movie definitely hurt their reputation and it is unfair and sad. Totally. I wonder if Spielberg knew, and I mean, maybe you might know more about this. I wonder if he did anything um, in the following years, of this release. And, you know, I should say the following decades, if he worked with, um, conservationists, well, I, well, I know, or... I know Peter Benchley felt terrible. And he said that if he knew what he knows about sharks now, then he would have either never written it or, you know, it would have been a different story. Made it about giant mosquitoes instead. Yeah. They're the worst. They are the worst. Yeah. I, I, I think that I've never seen a shark in person. I've gone snorkeling when I was in Hawaii, 
but I don't have any desire to go into a shark cage either. And I think a lot of good has been done with uh, things like Shark Week, right? So the Discovery Channel, with it becoming so popular, they've really painted sharks in, in a better light. It's just unfortunate that it took so long for that to happen. Because I think you, I think you're right. I think a lot of people were terrified of swimming and they were terrified of sharks and they were un- unfairly given this uh, antagonist look and this evil look. So I, I kind of wish, I mean, it, may, it might've taken away, but I kind of wish they had some sort of disclaimer before or after the film, you know, saying how great they are for the ecology. Okay. So, and we were talking about the well-made idea and well-made films. And I was saying how I consider the dark Knight to be a pretty much a perfect film. Do you believe in a perfect film? Nope. <laughs> I don't. Do you believe in a near perfect film? Uh, I mean, I guess. But I mean, what you think is a perfect film, you were to talk to the director, they'd be like, oh man, we fucked up on this, 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 and we should have did this. I wish I did that. So no, there's no sure. such thing as a perfect film. What are your flaws with Jaws? Do you have any flaws with Jaws? Um, well... I guess like I think some of the deaths are a little weird like when the woman is being murdered at the beginning when she's being eaten and pulled all over the place um, I think that is just absurd um, when the little kid and her boy is getting eaten there's this asshole and I have bucket hat and glasses that's running out in the water with the biggest doofiest smile on his face oh yeah um, I remember that <laughs> yeah you know there's just things like that I think when the ship is being attacked um, the it doesn't matter whether if it's part of the boat that's underwater or above water, things are just being pushed and broken and torn apart <laughs> kind of all at once. And uh, it's like Jaws has like speed racer controls with extra weapons <laughs> coming out of his body to make this attack happen. And it's, it's just <laughs> a little absurd. But uh, I think in the moment... If if you were to survive a shark attack, you know your your perception of what happened might be embellished a little bit, and maybe that's kind of what they think is like, wow, this whole ship is collapsing all around us, and so maybe that's what it's supposed to entail versus just you know a knock here, a thump there. Um, it's just glorified in a way and exaggerated. And I think a really cool thing that Spielberg did with this is we don't see the shark until about an hour into the film. And when he's presenting, uh, you know, just the climax of the film is when the three men are out on the boat and they're chasing the shark. You see it here and there, but then they they hook it or they harpoon it with the, the barrels and to save money. And because, you know, those three bruises that they had were just pretty much um, duds they just basically pulled the barrels and used those to represent the shark. So I think it was cool to not physically see uh, the shark hit the boat and, and to do that kind of stuff, but just the, the un, the uncertainty of it and, and the unknown that this 25 foot great white could, could accomplish. It's, it's pretty crazy. And I, I thought that that did so much more for me in this. And so, I mean, I, I kind of agree with you for, for some of it, but I liked, I liked the boat stuff. I, I thought, I mean, I've never been on a boat that's been attacked by a shark, so I don't know how absurd that would be. I guess it, you'd have I'd have to rewatch it and you'd have to like pick out the little pieces. But yeah. So why you were talking about Spielberg's career, how how he has all this clout and everything like that. Why do people love Spielberg films so much? I think they're a fun adventure, uh, even when they're on the Orca. 
and they're setting off sail and they harpoon jaws like you said the music totally changes it goes to like this this sort of upbeat uh, hopeful melody kind of thing and i think that a lot of times uh we can connect with that sort of thrill um whether it be everyday people caught in extraordinary situations uh, i think aside from like indiana jones for the most part uh it's all everyday people that get involved in these adventures and i think that it's very relatable that way like you can see yourself just having a very bad day and you are that character you know you could very well be brody or mr hooper or fucking warhorse it doesn't matter like you just find yourself easily being one of those characters right and i and i thought that too because it'd been a while since i've seen this and when they shoot him with the first harpoon and yeah the music's so uplifting i mean john williams did the score and it's it's absolutely incredible but it's so uplifting and it's so adventurous because this movie is supposed to be a pretty scary film but at that point you're like hell yeah dude i'm i'm in i'm with these guys we're, we're on this boat together and we're having sushi tonight we're gonna blow this shark up or whatever they're gonna do to it but right. it's uh it is really interesting it, it it's it's such an it's such a nice choice for the film, and I was I wonder if he was thinking of that the entire time because he did credit John Williams. He was saying like if if his score wasn't here, um, this w- this movie probably wouldn't have been made or it wouldn't have been as good as it is. Basically, right? That's probably fair. But, yeah, and I think with Spielberg, I mean, look at ET. It's ET is such a fun movie. It's it just reminds you of being a child. Uh, right. A lot been, of his it, movies yeah. do that. A lot of them you you feel like you're you're a kid when you're watching them. Mm-hmm. It brings out sort of that that sense of childish adventure and like you can't get hurt. (laughs) Right. And in super eight, when him him and JJ did it, he said JJ went on record saying that that was one of the most fun times he's had making a film just because it's like, you know, kids making film. It, it was basically like him growing up and uh, he just knows how to capture that audience's attention. Um, Whether he does like a shock and awe situation, like in Jurassic park or something like that, or saving private Ryan, he, he, it's so visceral and he puts you in, in the shoes of these people and he uses the camera in almost a POV effect. So you're not just like watching it as a narrator. You're, you're watching it as you you're there sort of. And I really feel that that's, that's so that goes a long way to, to making a good film. But I mean, yeah, you're, you're right about everything else. What are your uh, top three favorite Spielberg films? Um, Jaws. (laughs) E.T. Jurassic Park. Yeah, Jurassic Park is number one for me. Um, I'd probably say E.T. for two. And then uh, what else? Oh, Saving Private Ryan for three. I just I love that movie so much. Makes me sad. Makes me happy. And it mostly makes me sad. But I really like that movie. So what? So this movie is really interesting. And and I said, you know, it was on the Disney Channel when I was younger. It was very weird. But uh, what genre would you classify Jaws as? Uh, I think it, so. I think it's. I would say like a, a. It's probably a horror movie or an adventure movie, uh, or an adventure movie with horror elements. But I think at the beginning, it's very much a horror movie, and then it shifts. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think at first there's a lot of horror elements to it. You know, we have this this great unknown. People are dying. There's no real explanation. People are are turning a blind eye. Like the 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 adults are talking, and you know it's it's just kid stuff and no nothing to worry about. 
And then uh, once we see the the big bad, then it becomes an adventure movie. But I think that there is definitely a tonal shift from from when they first uh, discover that there's a shark to once they capture what they believe is the shark, the tiger shark. Um, and Hooper and um, Brody go out on the water and they realize that they still have a shark on their hands. Then mm-hmm. I think the movie changes. Then it becomes an event like we're going to go get it. You know, saddle up partner. We're going to get this thing. Then I think the movie changes. It's much more uplifting from that point on. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's an inter- interesting shift for sure, because I think you I think many people could classify it as a straight horror film. But I mean, we've had this conversation over so many podcasts. But yeah, um, I, would, I, I think I think it's like action horror action adventure horror which is uh really interesting so i'm wondering if he almost pioneered that that subgenre and i dig it i mean that's another reason why spielberg's so great is he just went into it like this i don't i don't even really know if the book was necessarily meant to be scary per se um yeah and that's another thing so i've never read the book um for which is weird because jaws is my favorite movie uh but i have never felt compelled to read the book and um, Dave from the geek legacy podcast. He's read it. He's a big fan. Um, and he told me the differences long, long time ago and it just became something I wasn't really interested in. I think now in a given uh, time, you know, now, now that I'm a whopping 40 years old, I think it would be fun and a good time to experiment and go ahead and just read it and get it over with. But um I just like the movie so much and given what I'm told about these characters not being likable, that might change my perspective on things, which I'm not prepared to do just yet. So this is one of those times that that the book is not as good as the film, because I did read the book a few years ago and I do remember a good majority of it. But I I don't remember enough to being like, man, I really liked that. Uh, He did take some liberties, quite a few liberties, and Peter Benchley wasn't a huge fan of it. But then he ultimately came out and said that he was very happy with what Spielberg did and he appreciated it more so than his book. So, uh, yeah, I <clears throat> I did read the book. It's uh, it's OK. You don't have to you don't have to read it. If I got book, you should go read it. Definitely didn't say that. Not going to say that one. But uh, what are your favorite scenes in the movie or scene? But Oof. scenes, it would have to be uh, with. The Dementors flying around, fucking <laughs> everyone's soul. Um, I don't know. My favorite scene is when they capture the. T- literally, my favorite scene is when they capture the tiger shark, and that one guy's like, "Yeah, but but what kind of shark is it?" And then Richard Dreyfus says, "Tiger shark," and the guy goes, "A what?" A what? <laughs> <laughs> literally, my favorite scene. Fucking love that. And then I also like um, when it cuts to Brody typing up the the report on finding the body and how he is typing that it has been a shark attack um that there was that there was uh someone was killed and it's like an incident report basically right and he's typing it up and it says shark attack and then he stops what he's doing and all these people are trying to have an interaction with him the the nice lady that works as like the sort of the administrative assistant is trying to talk to him about something. His deputy is trying to talk to him about something. Like three different townsfolk are trying to talk about their problems with him. 
and his only concern is closing the beach. He goes to the hardware store. He gets materials to make signs that say beach is closed because they don't have beach is closed signs. It's never been something that has ever come up or ever been on the docket. And um, he gets to the, the water and he sees these kids that are swimming. And he's like, take me out to those kids. And at that same time, you're watching all these people get involved, including the, the coroner, the medical examiner guy. He, he was like, shit, I got to tell this guy that it's not really a shark attack. And then they all get into a car together. And then they tell him, like, look, dude, we can't have you going around spreading fear about the this shark attack. You know, we all have businesses and our livelihood is at risk. And that all happens inside of like 90 seconds. And I absolutely love that. And he's like, what are you talking about? People could get hurt. And then sure enough, wouldn't you know it, a little boy gets eaten. And he I love prevented that. it. Yeah. But they got to get the money. But that's my favorite scene. And I think um, the scene when they're like showing each other like their scars and telling the stories and then the story of the, the Indianapolis. I think that's a great scene, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, I think I think those are my two big takeaways. I think that the opening sequence is one of the most iconic opening sequences in film history. Uh, you know, it's been spoofed so many different times, but it's just it's beautiful. And I like how it's it's dark out, but it's light enough to be able to shoot. And he, he does capture some really cool stuff. They use a lot of handhelds in this movie, too, which is really cool. But uh, I really like that sh- uh, scene a lot because it really sets the tone for the movie. And then I also really love the Brody part when he's throwing chum and, you know, the shark scares him it, just because that iconic. That's the first time you really get to see Jaws and, you know, he that that look of shock and awe on his face. And he says, we're going to need a, b- a bigger boat, which he apparently ad libbed that line. So, oh, really? Yeah. Roy Schreider. Uh, there's also the USS Indianapolis monologue. I love it. Um, I realized how much I loved it when I was watching it last night too. It's very, very good. Very good delivery. Robert Shaw did an excellent job on that, but uh, yeah, that you, you really get a, a look into who Quint is from that. So uh, I think um, another good shot is when they're on the beach and he's Brody is, is just gripped with fear. And then he finally just takes a moment to relax. And then when the little boy gets eaten, the the camera does that weird little focus shot thing going on where it zooms in on him and he just, his heart sinks. Yeah. Uh, that's really cool too. Yeah. They, they use that shot in vertigo. Apparently I haven't seen vertigo, but they use that shot in vertigo apparently. And uh, yeah, in, in film, in film class and stuff, they try to teach it as the jaws shot jaws shot. I did a paper on it in college, but it's really cool. I thought, I thought it was a fun effect. And yeah, that look on, on Roy Schreider's face is uh, interesting, but yeah. Uh, so why, uh, I guess you can classify it as this, but why is this a great 4th of July film? Uh, well, it's a summer movie. It's a uh, time when everyone's going to the beach. I think even in the trailer, it was like, um, see the film before you go swimming. <laughs> You're like, shit. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> see the film before you take a bath. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Don't go in lakes. Don't go in pools. Don't even drink a glass of water there. <laughs> don't even have the water. <laughs> <laughs> stay out of the uh, yard. Stay out of the car. Stay out of the bars. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just it's relatable. Place with your with your psyche. You know, it's like we've all gone in the water. We've all felt something hit our leg. We've 
Um, you know, we whether you are a you know an avid beachgoer or it's you, you barely ever go or you always wanted to go, you're always gonna have sharks just kind of on the back of your on your mind. You're like, yeah, oh, I'd really suck to get eaten by a shark today. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> no one goes outside and like uh, it's a beautiful day in Zamunda. I would love to get bit by a fucking shark today. So I just think that um, having a summer film where you are able to relate to it in a way where it's like, man, it's a thousand degrees. I just want to go swimming. And then you're like, well, swimming is not that important. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, could, I could just go eat a popsicle and it'd be the same thing. So I don't know. I think that's kind of funny. I want a hot dog. I want a hamburger. No, I want <laughs> no, a cheeseburger. I <laughs> <laughs> want a milkshake. I want a milkshake. You'll get nothing and you'll like it. But uh, yeah, I, I I think that it it's the story of man versus nature, kind of like I said in the summary, and that can correlate kind of with any true American frontiersman story. So I thought that, that that's, you know, if you want to analyze it as that, but um, that that's maybe more of a deeper meaning behind it. Um, I also just think it's a perfect Fourth of July film because we don't have that many Fourth of July films except for Independence Day, The Patriot and like Born on the Fourth of July. But uh I think that since this started, this was the the it's a it's Independence a Day is a pretty amazing but Independence but Day movie. I I, I, <laughs> I like July movie. I like it a lot, but it's not it's not realistic. This this is more of a realistic movie, right? Uh, this is more something where I can be scared of. With Independence Day, I love. Don't get me wrong, I I absolutely love it. I had the toys when I was a kid. I went to the theater and we clapped in the theater. Um, I love that movie. But I think that since this set the bar for what a summer blockbuster was and usually around the time net, traditionally now uh, summer blockbusters are around uh, Independence Day. That's when they usually release them like this week. But yeah, so, not anymore. Now it's I know now it's like it was May and now it's even as early as April. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I think like late May, but but June and July. But yes, before it, it kind of was. So I think I think this definitely set the precedent for it. Can you describe this movie in one sentence? A chilling tale of man versus nature where the biggest danger lies with ignorance fueled by greed. I put the story of an ignorant beach town forcing a police chief, marine biologist, and a sea captain to hunt a dangerous shark that will not stop killing. That's another thing. How come sharks in movies just are never satiated? They just keep eating and eating and eating. And he explains that Huber is like, this is a, 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 it's a machine. He eats and then he swims and he eats and he swims and he eats and he swims. And, and he was trying to explain that to the mayor. Well, he uh, says it, all it does is it, is it, is it feeds and makes baby oh, babies sharks. too. Yeah, there you go. Um, but I mean, even when they're, they're doing the autopsy on the tiger shark, he says the digestive tract on this animal is really slow and there's likely to be. You know, whatever's in there from what it ate like in the last 24 hours. So, I mean, if it has such a slow digestive system, it wouldn't keep feeding. It's very interesting. So one thing that I when I was watching this that really kind of stuck out to me was that it was eerily topical to today's current state uh, during covid times. Um, Politicians are ignoring Brody's request to close the beaches, even though there is imminent danger in leaving them open. But, you know, regardless of his plea, people were still flocking to the beaches in herds, ignoring those warnings. Was was there some sort of commentary that Spielberg secretly used in this film, 
kind of as like a cautionary tale for the future for generations ahead. <laughs> like in a Rasputin <laughs> way. Yes. Um, I, I do think that greed is one of the most powerful emotions on the planet. And that um, when it comes to money, uh, lives come second. And I think that that is a universal truth. That's really sad. That's really awful. But I think I agree with you. I mean, it, it was really interesting watching this movie and looking at the beaches and seeing how these politicians are like, no, this is our business weekend. You know, people need to come out to beaches. And then I flipped on the news and I see in Florida, these beaches are packed, right? But it's it's just insane to me because it's like, look, if you go here, you're going to get the COVID. Or if you go here, you're going to get eaten by... Mr. Big Shark. But people are like, I don't care. I still want to go outside. It's my it's my summer vacation or whatever. It's it's just so interesting. I think some of it falls on the people as well. But I think it's very, very uh, I think the, the politicians are very ignorant and it's uh, it's careless of them to do. And I think it's very dangerous. Mm-hmm. But that was a, a glaring, a glaring thing while I was watching the movie. And it was uh, it struck a chord with me how. How that stuff happens. I just wonder if if Spielberg was just ahead of his time when he was thinking about this kind of stuff. Maybe, maybe he's a or genius. Peter eventually, I mean, it's true. Does it take place on Fourth of July weekend for in the book? Uh, so that I don't remember. So I wish I refreshed myself on the on, on the PB. But I mean, yeah. it, it, at the end of the day, like I, I totally understand what the townsfolk are saying. Uh, Amity Island is um, grossly dependent upon summer business. Uh, no one goes to the island in the winter. You know, it's it's just not in the cards. And so they need that money. When you think of like um, something like San Diego Comic-Con, right? It is, it is Wednesday through Sunday. And the amount of money that gets put into that city for just one week is was enough to floor you. And to think that an entire economy would literally shut down if these people didn't arrive in droves to go swimming on their island is heartbreaking. They'd lose their homes. They could be on on assisted living, welfare, whatever. Um, They could literally lose their business. And that's very much what is happening right now with COVID-19, as you mentioned, where um, small business owners are getting left out in the cold. While your big businesses are getting multi-million dollar loans to stay afloat, right, it is horrible. And I, I look at I look at towns like up here, like in Washington, Leavenworth. I don't have numbers on it, but just by going there recently, um, it was not as busy as it would normally be. I mean, it'd be busier at certain times, but I don't imagine that they can make up like one busy day can make up for the weeks or months that they've had where there weren't guests and. So I, I could only imagine what this would do in 1975, uh, especially in wherever this is, Amity Island. Um, okay, well then, and then uh, if if for some reason, I, I ask this question a lot, but if for some reason this movie were remade, I think that, me personally, I think that you would have to keep the three main characters, uh, Brody, Hooper, and Quint, they would have to be older men in their 40s or 50s. And I don't think that you could recast it with them being younger. But uh, do you agree or disagree? Well, that's an interesting question because only Robert Shaw and and Roy Scheider were in their 40s. Richard Dreyfuss was actually 28 when he made that movie. He was 28? Yeah. Wow. 
I know, right? Um, but I've actually recast this movie a hundred times in my head. And my most recent cast would be Kurt Russell as Quint. Of course. Joel Edgerton <laughs> as as Chief Brody. And Michael B. Jordan as Mr. Hooper. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's so interesting because I... I was thinking, I was saying that some films just kind of work better with an older cast, things like Shawshank Redemption, Grumpy Old Men, (laughs) and uh, like the first Wives Club. I think those all work better with older actors and actresses because it just, it fits the story and and I don't see how it could work with with a younger couple per se, or younger, younger people in it, but... So all of those people that I just named are older than the actors that were in the movie. Kurt Russell is 69, Robert Shaw is 48. Joel Edgerton is 46. Roy Scheider was 43. Wow. Michael B. Jordan is 33. Richard Dreyfuss was 28. There you go. So everyone I mentioned was already older. And um, I think that just the way our the way we live our lives now, our diets, our overall concern with health just shows how well people can look at the ages they are now versus what they did in 1975. Yeah. Robert Shaw looks like he's a billion years old and crazy and gross. And like he fits the bill of a salty sea captain. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kurt Russell is 69 and he's still a fucking badass. He is, he's fucking Elvis, man, with my glasses <laughs> and not chops. <laughs> I will only watch, I would only watch it with Kurt Russell in it is, or if he dressed up as Captain Ron and did it. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a little patch. That would be great. Yeah. He's, <laughs> watch out for the girls, boss. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then like even just like for directors, um, you know Spielberg is obviously uh, a great choice for this movie. Um, but if it were to be remade, I would easily take someone like uh, Matthew Vaughn, who can do a kick-ass um, action movie, or even um, uh, Denis Villeneuve. Um, that guy is fucking amazing he's got an incredible eye and to see him on an island and then go out into the ocean i think would be really cool or even if you went like the horror route um someone that's that's done something like um ooh, what's the guy's name that did it follows uh david robert mitchell yeah um where something exists but you don't really know what it is um i think someone like him an up-and-comer could uh really given the the budget and the opportunity to shine could really do something really cool with a movie like jaws do you do you like ari aster uh who is that um so he did midsummer and he did hereditary oh i didn't like hereditary okay well i think he's very very good at at digging into the psyche uh with his horror films he makes them creepy but he gets a lot out of his actors um florence Pugh in midsummer was fantastic absolutely incredible and so if you win a completely well, I wouldn't even say a completely different route, but if you really wanted to make this more of a, not an action spectacular, but keep that psychological thriller, like not show the shark very much, even though everyone and their grandma knows what the sharks look like and you have the budget for it, you get fantastic actors like the three you just named and you create this type of environment, um, almost like they could have cabin fever, fever on that boat as well. I think he would do a really, really good job with that. I just don't know if he would sell out for something that big per se, but he's he only has two real huge films under his belt right now. I, I, I don't want to speak for him, so I don't know if he would make that leap to to a big because this is going to be a universal picture, right? Because they own the rights to it. So that's what it would be. I just don't know if he would make that jump to it so easily if he would agree to it. 
I, I dig your casting choice. And that's, that's really interesting to think because as soon as you said that I, I was instantly just like, Michael B. Jordan's not younger, but that I was like, holy crap. I did not realize that, uh, what's his name was Mr. Holland's opus was <laughs> that yeah. young Richard Dreyfus. I mean, and even, um, Quint says a lot younger than Mr. Hooper here, you know, like he, he's a kid, but, um, yeah, 1975, 28 is might as well be <laughs> 50, 2020. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. It's, it's so strange. But like we have literally changed everything about us to where we no longer look like that. You know, we don't age as well. Well, yeah, man, uh, that's all I have on it. Do you have anything else to add about Jaws? That's all. Uh, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. Thanks for listening to this really great episode, I think. Uh, it was all about Justin. Just trying to do a nice thing for him. If you find us on the social media there, you can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin, as well as the Pixelated podcast with Stephen K. James and Justin. Just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.